Oh, no, I feel like I just... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I got the camera there, so I gotta stay here. <laughs> All right, we'll get started. Um, good to see you. Welcome. It's been a while since we've been able to do this. Um, with We've had some things going on, and that's all right. And just so you know, this is the last time for a little while that we'll be meeting at, at least at the end of service. I'll try to make videos, but not everybody will see those, but that's all right. But uh, baby, as you know, is due, Wednesday, uh, due Wednesday, and so I am required elsewhere for a little while. And uh, yeah, so excited about that. Yeah. She don't know that. That's right. That's right. Uh, Leonard said that yeah, she's Wednesday is the day, and then. She, <laughs> Now everybody knows she's pregnant, they didn't before. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, is there anything that uh, anybody would like prayer for? I know it's a little different in here than when we have service, but all right. Father, thank you for these. Thank you for Christ in these. Spirit, may you be with us as we speak and as we converse and as we, as your word is opened up. Um, may you open our hearts and our lives to it. And may you reign and rule within us and may we love your kingdom coming and growing, expanding within us. Enlarge our hearts to go running after you as we come into your word. And grant us to have a fruitful time of hearing it. Um, pray for my wife and as as she's with our children right now, and I know that she's very tired and feeling everything getting close to the end of the pregnancy and the beginning of um, having a, another member of the family to love, and I thank you for every bit of that, and pray for her specifically that you would strengthen her, grant her healing, and refine her heart in being a, wonderful, the, a more wonderful mother than she already is, and thank you so much for the blessing of a wife that she is. Your word says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing, and I have been given a very good thing. And I thank you for her. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you for what we heard today. May you grow upon it and sanctify your word in our hearing. And it's for your wonderful name we pray. Amen. All right, so as Leonard said, here, now I feel like I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> The diagonalness was throwing my right side of my brain off. Uh, all right, so, oh, now I'm off track. Okay, um, yeah, as Leonard said, from 15 to 19 chapters in Luke, uh, he, he, he's, he's on a one-way, uh, this is largely one scene. He gives this, um, well, not largely one scene, but there's this, this, there, this is a huge, this is one big scene here. He goes from, in 15, um, talking to everybody about the prodigal son, and then he moved and he talked to his disciples at the beginning of 16, and the Pharisees have been jostled by what they've heard because as he's talking to his disciples with this, it's in their hearing, and it says in verse 14 of chapter 16, after they've already undergone overhearing everything that he's already said, and it hasn't been favorable, in their account. 
Pharisees who were lovers of money. See, he said, uh, backing up as Leonard did, one who is faithful in very little, and backing up to verse 10, is also faithful in much. And the one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. So we have this God who there's really no small things before. The small things are, uh, that we consider are, consider are very important to God. Uh, there's no such thing as uh, this, this small issue here in our life when it comes to our faithfulness, because if he says, you are, if you are not faithful with, uh, with that small thing, then it, how can uh, we grow upon that? Um, so the, the, the small things, I say all that to say, are important to the Lord. The small things are important to the Lord. Um, details are important. Uh, he's made us to see more than just the big picture. And without all the details, there is no big picture. Because all the details make the big picture. Lots of brush strokes in a painting, right? Um, and he goes, and he, 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 after that, to continue reading, if then you have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, who will give you true riches? Now we know what true riches are um, as Christians. We found them in Christ. Christ himself is that great treasure that we've come upon. Uh, and the wisdom that comes from Christ, the redemption that is found in Christ, um, forgiveness, grace, and mercy, all of these are to be treasured more than the things that we can put in actual boxes. Um, and you have not been faith and if you have not been faithful in what is another's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can have two masters, for he will either hate one and for he will hate one and love the other. So he's talking about our allegiance being in one place. How it can't be divided. God will have no competitions, no rivals. And for a Christian, that's a, that's a great, a joyful thing to hear because we don't want any other, any anything, anything but Him. Um, and so when we find things in our lives that do begin to rival Him, we gladly repent of those things. And he takes his position again, and we find relief because those things brought us into a state of unrest. Have we found that when, when we're wondering? The wondering is never as good as it seems on the outset of that wondering. Yeah. But we saw as well a few weeks ago that he's the, he goes out and recaptures the one who wonders in the wonderful parable of the, of the shepherd who leaves the 99 to find the one who strayed. And he says, you cannot serve both God and money. Now, there's plenty of other things, God and blank, but here he talks about money. And the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, now if you go to 1 Timothy 6.10, there's this verse that's uh, been misquoted uh, in evangelicalism, um, where it says, the that money is the root of all evil. But there's some words before that where Paul writes Timothy and says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So you can take out money and put whatever you want there. Um, but what we know is that there's a thing behind the thing. Like there's nothing inherently wrong with 
tobacco, say. But there's something wrong with addiction. So there's a heart matter behind the thing. And it's the same with money. Because money is a powerful thing in that having enough of it gives you the sensation that you're safe and secure. When we as Christians know where it came from, ultimately, it came into our being as a gift from the Father. He put us, however he orchestrates it, for us to have what we need. And therefore, he is of more value than money, a treasure of anything else. It's really easy to rely on money, and that's where having money becomes sin. Yeah, because we're putting what should only belong to God on something else, reliance, faith. And these were lovers of money. They were after it. It was their, uh, it was their motive for being in the position that they were in when these were supposed to be priests these were supposed to be teachers of the law and we see how they misunderstood the law and used it um, for their own purposes for their gain in this case money treasures love of self as leonard said earlier so the pharisees who were lovers of money so they're jostled at this once once jesus says you can't have two masters they're pretty keen to know they're talking about them. That he's talking about them because how he talks to his disciples and doesn't include them. Yet they overhear. They heard all these things and they ridiculed him. That word is derided, and the word deride comes from uh, in the in this text. It's to look down on or put your nose up to. So they they put their nose up to the Lord at this. They ridiculed him. Um, the one whom their law came from. And they were lovers of the law in, in so far it was a means as them to pull whatever they wanted from, to, to build themselves. It gets them money. It gets them notoriety in the public sphere. They're seen as learned scholarly men. It's the way they interpreted it. Yeah. 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 That's the way they wanted to interpret it. Mm-hmm. They... Yeah, they, they love their interpretation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he said to them, as they're ridiculing him, you are those, and this is very sharp, who justify yourselves before men. But God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So in other words, they used what belonged to God to justify themselves, and they gave themselves, they justified themselves before men, they gave themselves God's approval when it's God's to give. They gave themselves God's approval. They approved themselves and presumed on God, having their faith in their abilities from the law, 
teaching the law, even though they didn't live by the law themselves. And they were self-righteous, and they used the law in legalistic ways, adding to it, and not in putting uh, confines on people with the law, um, instead of freeing them as God would have them do, as in their roles. And he also says, for what is exalted among men. See, they prize themselves for this. Is an abomination in the sight of God. And I think of uh, Proverbs 6. Um, verses 16 to 19. Because there are some things that... I don't like that phrase. Like, Christians are aren't just supposed to be known for what they're against, but for what they're for. And that's true, we shouldn't. But we shouldn't just go to the extreme other side of that and just be for everything, because there, we have a God who's against some things, and we should be against some things. There's some things that are sinful, and we should be against those things within ourselves first, taking out the planks at our own eye, before we're against those things in another, and be very gracious with others as we're against things within them, as we are after, 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 <laughs> we've done our work of removing that plank by the power and grace of God. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. So these have no place before God, and these are not found within God. First one is haughty eyes, and that's, that's pride. Pride is first on the list. When you scratch the surface of every sin, like a lottery ticket, very shallow scratching, you will find pride. It was pride that originally made the devil feel like he could be like God. And all of our sin, there's a note of pride uh, within it that's, that says, I condone this. I exchange you for this, not believing that I can find the joy in you that I can find in this right now and I will not wait, I will appease myself now, uh, or whatever it looks like, but that's pride that says, me. These are haughty eyes, one proud of themselves. Two is a lying tongue. We have a God of truth, as we're gonna see more of here in, in a moment. And hands that shed innocent blood and a heart that devises wicked plans. That's a malice, the intent to do evil. Feet that make haste to run to evil. There's so many more verse, verses that you could go from this, but and um, six, a false witness who breathes out lies. Not just one who lies, but lies about what is, lies about the truth and one who sows discord among brothers. This is a divisive person, one who sows um, discord among brothers, um, who breaks things up, who interjects into a good thing their view. Um, these are things that have no place in God and shouldn't be found in us, but the bad news is we do find them in us. Um, and as we go, we see Jesus speaking here, and it's heavy. But the more we read, we eventually get to the cross, as Leonard said. 
And that's where Jesus pays for all of our wayward autonomy and gives us hearts that are Godward and makes us in from, from self-worshippers who love their own opinions to worshippers of God who love the truth and have no use for opinions any longer. And then in the sight of God, he sees this one, this repentant believer in his son, every bit as precious and pure and wonderful as his son is because he sees their son covering him, covering them. This is the good news of the gospel. But there's a lot within our culture that uh, you, know, you really only need to look out your window to find something within our culture. The magazine uh, racks in the aisle are pretty telling. As Leonard said, married today, I think, anyway. Uh, sexual ethics, politics, determining factors, human wisdom, worldviews. We have a very patient God, which is very good news for us. I, I'm, I'm very impatient with my own stuff. And he has, and he endears the entire world all at once, all the time. And it will end someday, but I... The patience of God is always something that stops me. And then he says this, in verse 16. The law and the prophets were until John. Okay, so that's the, uh, the Old Testament. And Jesus is going to tell us his view of Scripture here. And we don't want to have... Uh, a view of scripture less than Jesus' own view. So we want to, whatever our view of scripture is, uh, by hearing by hearing what he says here, um, let's try to match it in reverence of it. Um, when they have the same heed of scripture that Jesus had. Um, the law and the prophets were until John. All right, so the law and the prophets just weren't until from Genesis to Malachi. They were from Genesis to John. All right, the old test or the old covenant, let's say, uh, was not stopped at Malachi or sometime between. Uh, the new covenant begins as Jesus' ministry takes hold, because he says next, the law and the prophets were until John, and since then the good news of the kingdom is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. That sounds <clears throat> like a negative thing there, but. There's, there's, there, there, we'll get to that in a moment, but, uh, so the law and the prophets and the good news, and essentially that's our Bible, the law and the prophets and the gospel, the, as I like what Leonard says, we need the Old Testament so that we can understand Christ. If we don't have the Old Testament, uh, preparing us, or promising us, preparing us, uh, showing us what it would look like, what it was going to do when the gospel came to bear, when the Messiah came, when Christ comes. This. And if we don't have all of that back here, back here, then when Jesus comes on the scene, then he's just another open-air preacher. If we don't have all this. And there is tremendous wealth in every word of the Bible. I, I, I was in a Bible study with a guy a long time ago and he said the red words are more important than the black ones well they're both the word of God so they shouldn't you shouldn't have any more 
you shouldn't have less heed when you read you know, all the black words in your Bible. And in fact, raise those and keep the reverence for the red words the same. Don't lessen the, you know. Um, all scripture is breathed out by God. And I wish I could go into this for a long time, but I've a lot personally written on this because the truth is, if you have no truth, you have no reality. If, if you don't have the right information, you never get to the right place in regards to like a map. If you don't get to the right place with the wrong map, you, we can't know God apart from what he's revealed about himself. We can't just come upon the right information. Well, what we do is invent things and we believe our notions. Um, and the word of God is always here for us to know our God by. The primary purpose we've been put on the planet is to know God and then obey him out of that, as we've said before. See, because I could go my entire life and obeying everything I saw in here and still wake up in hell if I don't know my God. See, the people, as we've said in Matthew, 20, uh, Matthew 7, 21, he, these are all the people who did all the right stuff. But he says, I don't know you. So we don't just do all the stuff because then we're just like the Pharisees who do the stuff and count it as something they can present before God, say, all right, I did it, now you owe me. That's not how it works. The law of the prophets were until John, and then the good news of the kingdom is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. That's a good thing. We should be clamoring to get to church, excited to come here and receive what our God would say out of this book, because there's not... God is completely sovereign in orchestrating everything that's ever been said and recorded in this book and all the teaching in it. Everything that was copied down that even a pagan nation king somewhere in the Old Testament in Jeremiah. Everything that they said, God used. Uh, he's sovereign even over nations who don't even know who he is. At the end of Jeremiah, the first part of the book, he, 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 he judges his own people in just judgment and ships them off to Babylon. And then for the last few chapters, he goes about pronouncing judgments on nations who don't even know him. And you can read Psalm 9, I was thinking of earlier when Leonard was talking about nations that don't, that don't last. Because yes, we are a Christian name in much of our foundation. Christian nation. But when you lose sight of that, I should have had this mark before I had to find it. Um, forever. All right, within Psalm name, Psalm nine. Sorry. Give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I recount wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exalt you. I will sing. Praises to your name. Uh, I'm just reading the whole thing until I find that part. I didn't prepare this. I just came to my mind while he was talking. Okay, yes. Verse 5. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end. 
and everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out, and the very mem memory of them has perished. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice, and he judges the world in righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. And then let's skip ahead to the last. Arise, O Lord, uh, verse 19. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let nations be judged before you. Put, in, put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. And there's more about that. Um, oh, the, in verse 17. I should have just read the whole thing, I'm sorry. Uh, the, the wicked shall return to Sheol, all the nations that forget God. That's what I was trying to find in the first place. Um, all the nations that forget God. Now, a nation will only stand so long as its church is healthy. If the church is doing its job, God will... Like that scene in Sodom and Gomorrah, as Abraham is standing with the Lord... And Abraham keeps trying to work him down. He's going to destroy this city. And Abraham says, what if there's 50 men who believe in you? Then I won't destroy it. And well, what if there's 40? Then I won't destroy it. What if there's third? What if there's, and he gets all the way down to 10, I think. The Lord knows how to rescue the righteous and, and preserve them. And it's been said uh, as a nation, as a family goes, so goes the nation. And when the family is at risk, that's why he goes to divorce here in a minute, then everything begins to fall apart because godly men are necessary in the church and at home for the preservation of society. Not just godly men, but god, godly people. But that is a non-negotiable in a godly country, in God's eyes. So where you have strong biblical churches creating strong biblical, desperate for Christ people, you have a nation that is being preserved. A nation that takes the, a, a nation with churches in it, a true church that is obeying the great commission to Disciple people to know their God, that's what holds back the evil in the world. Just like the police hold back the evil within their power. The church is the strongest people on the planet, even though they look like the weakest. Because God lives in them. And so we need the law and the prophets to inform us about our God. And we need the good news of Christ. The Jewish people, as it stands, they only have the Old Testament. They reject Christ. They don't have the full picture. That's why you can say Christianity is different than Judaism. Christians have the full picture. Christians have the full story. Christians have Christ. 
what the Old Testament was pointing to. Lot and his wife and his family, right? Well, not even his wife. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. God preserves his people. They got out. And then he says this in verse 17 But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. So there's a. Uh, what's called anti-nominalism. I hope I said that right. And that's the belief that the law is no longer in use or for us. That it no longer has a use in the Christian's life. And I don't fully understand all this, but I'm just going to tell you what I do understand. And this is an errant belief to say that the Ten Commandments are don't count any longer because the 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 law has three functions for Christians um, mirror curb and guide mirror you look at yourself you, you you hold your life up to the to the law and like an MRI machine as we've said in here before I think it tells you what the problem is and tells you the truth that just take the Ten Commandments, for example. Never, never mind, for now, every, all the other laws around that. I don't get past the first one. To love your Lord your God with, and have no other gods. As John Calvin said, the human heart is an idol-making factory, so to speak. And so, and... I can't even get to the second one because I've already broken the first one. And if you broke any one, you know, after that, I've stolen. They're already every time you break one of the other commands, it shows that you break the first one. You never break just one. Breaking two through ten as well breaks the first one. Um, and so it's necessary for us to see who we are. And in that moment, see the Savior, see the good news, to see by the law and the prophets that there's a problem, and we see what God likes and what he doesn't like in the law, and it, it guides us, and we, we now have the power of the Holy Spirit who Christ bought for us in the New Testament in the preaching of the kingdom, who, uh, who comes in and helps us not to who helps us not to abandon the law, but to actually walk in it. And there's, there's three kinds of law as well. There's the, they had ceremonial law, civic law, and the moral law. The Ten Commandments fall in the moral law category. They are still viable, they are still in effect, and they always will be, according to what Jesus says right here. They will never become void. The moral law is all for us. Now the first two parts of the law, the lots, lots of the 613 laws, fall into different categories in the Old Testament, and you'll see non-believers kind of throwing things in Christian's face, face like, oh, do you eat shellfish? Well, you're not obeying your Bible. And to which I say, no, I'm terrible at obeying all the things I should be. 
in the first place, and so you're right about that. However, that's part of civil law, how, and ceremonial law, how the people looked and come apart from them, uh, come, come out of the other nations and look separate. God, yes, Jesus fulfilled the entire law and the civic and the ceremonial laws. You can do, read the whole book of Hebrews and find out um, the, the, how he, he forfit, fulfilled this aspect of the law in his, in his priesthood. And so, and this is something that I think of Peter in Acts 10, when he's on the roof and he's praying and the sheet comes down. You can just go read it, but we'll be here for a while. Um, the sheet comes down. And if you ever want to know who saw the first movie in human history, it was Peter. And God shows him on this sheet, it's a pretty cool text, all the animals, and he says, everything is clean for you. And then Peter argues with them, <laughs> with God. He's like, no, I've never eaten anything unclean. He's like, yeah, I know, it's okay now. That part of the law has uh, been fulfilled, all things. And he says, and he tells Peter, kill and eat. And Peter's like, no, <laughs> no, I've never eaten any, anything. And he keeps, you know, Peter, it takes, you have to tell Peter think, everything at least three times. Um, I wish it was just three times for me. Um, and so, but the moral law still in effect, and that will not be void. So this is, this will stand forever. Heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus told us, before this becomes obsolete or discredited. It will never become obsolete. This is the perfect word of God. He gets everything right from the beginning. God never makes a mistake and says, oh, I said this back here, and now I, now we have to make an addendum and do it up here. Jehovah's Witnesses have had to rewrite their Bible. You can go back and look at the dates. When they originally corrupted this, because if you add or take away from this, then you only corrupt it, and it ceases to be the truth. It is fine as it is. It's more than fine as it is. And God is constantly directing us back to this. One of my favorite passages for this in Jeremiah. I don't know why Jeremiah is one of my favorite books, because it hits hard to read. I don't know why I like it so much, but it says this. In Jeremiah 6, 16. Thus says the Lord, stand by the road and look and ask for the ancient paths, because God has always been right. He will always be right. Don't try to find something new. You don't need new. You need depth into what you already have. Don't go elsewhere. Go deeper. That, so so you can read this when you're 16, and it will mean the same thing when you're 60. But it will be deeper. Excuse me. It will be deeper. He says, "Ask for the ancient paths where the good way is, and walk in it, and find rest for your souls." But they said, "We will not walk in it." See. That's man's autonomous nature saying we don't want this. But what God has established is perfect. The creator of life, the creator of all things knows how life and all things are supposed to work, right? 
And then we in our autonomous nature come along and say, me too. We do what feels best. And we don't want to be those people. I really need to keep my Bible marked and get one of those tag Bibles. Um, <laughs> um, we don't live according to what we think. We live according to what God says. And that's really the end of the matter here. And then he gives this one example of divorce. Uh, because... When he says um, in, in verse 18, he goes, the, there was teaching at the time, and we said earlier, like the, the, the Christian family and the, 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 ch the church and the family were at risk here. And so Jesus cites this example here of where the Pharisees twisted the teaching of God to make it something, and it was dissolving the family. It was, dis it was and, and God can only, you know, a nation who abandons, it's God. Judgment occurs for that nation. And so Jesus, in a great, he cites this example as a great rescue of the family and ultimately his church. And ultimately the nations benefit from that by just saying this one verse in verse 18, everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. See, we have a covenant-keeping God who never makes promises that he breaks or makes promises that he does not fulfill, and so marriage is that great allusion to that. And God invented marriage just to point to his son and to sanctify us and, all, and, and find great things in it. And I love what Leonard said today when he pointed to the cross, because I know it's a hard subject for everybody. Even, I've never been divorced, and marriage is still hard. I suck at it most of the time. Um, and I really have to read that Ephesians 5. Christ, to, Christ gave himself up. That's my job. My job to wake up in the morning and die for my family not live for myself. And there's no sin that the cross can't handle. So when we're convicted and feeling for ourselves and for others because of this sensitive matter, we look at the cross and it makes us more desperate for him. It makes us more grateful and we find relief by going that path. And he who marries a woman divorced from her commits adultery. He says... So God is a covenant-keeping God, and we're to mirror that. The Lord will not cheat on his church, even though his bride thinks other things look interesting a lot of the time. Read the story of Hosea. Um, he's the, the best model for husband, the best model for anyone best model for a man, a woman, is to look at Christ. We have all these different renditions of what we think men should be, soldiers or whatever it is, to look at him. And that's what we're going to do as we pray and close. Um, his faithfulness, his enduring, his, 
his uh, cross bearing. I love how he dissolves there. Yeah, as Leonard said earlier, like you could, you, you, there was a rabbi, Rabbi Hillel, who said if she burns a meal, you can give her a written notice of divorce. Just and all it had to say was, "I hereby divorce you. You can go marry whoever you want." That is the kind of power that these poor excuses for men had. And Jesus came and raised the bar to this. And there is a text in Deuteronomy 24.1 where Moses puts forward, give your wife a certificate of divorce. Um, and the one rabbi, Hillel, said you can do that for anything you want. You don't like this? See what's down the street. Leonard said I like that. Um, but no, he is a faithful husband and his people in Christ are to mirror that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Alright, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house and she departs from her house and she becomes another man's wife and it goes on it was as easy as that. It wasn't this complicated process that it is now to get divorced. It was as simple as you could have a bad day and divorce your wife at the end of it. So it, 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 it was a pretty pathetic view of marriage. And Jesus, I love what Jesus says here. And he explains this, that passage in another um, part two. And Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 6 and 7 um, about marriage. This really isn't about marriage. This is about the Pharisees messing with the law. But I'm glad that Leonard talked about marriage today. Did a good job of doing that too. And that's our text for today. Excellent sermon. Mm -hmm. That's an excellent sermon. Mm -hmm. I don't know how he kept it all together, but he had so much in it today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just time. follow the word. Yeah. yeah More prepared than I was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Father, thank you for Christ. Lord Jesus, thank you for living, teaching us this, protecting families, saving families, healing families, teaching them, fortifying them, making faithful promises to them for the opportunity as those who receive all of your blessings and your good works. May we live as protectant of our families as you are of your church. Loving our families as you love your church. Giving up ourselves, revering you as you should be revered, submitting to you gladly because you know the way. You have very capable hands. Your hands are capability. You are strength and you have all wisdom. You see all things rightly. 
May we be ever mindful of your word. May you grant all of us here a deep understanding as we come in that we would know that we are communing with our God as we read his word. And, he is in, and you are adjusting us and helping us and fortifying us and confirming things in us that become our peace to get through the day. And to get not just through the day, but through everything. Through the year, through the decade, through the century, on to eternity. May we be a people conformed onto the image of Christ by the word of Christ. And may this be a place, may these be a people where the word of Christ dwells richly, as Colossians says. And it's for your wonderful name we ask these things. Amen. Going 